Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Andrew Henderson with me. Andrew is the founder of Nomad Capitalist. He is a perpetual traveler, international entrepreneur, and citizen of the world. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me, George. Great to be with you. Thank you, thank you for being here, Andrew. Uh, you have been an entrepreneur from a very early age. Uh, that's from an, an interview that I that I watched. Um, can you talk about what were some of your earliest businesses, so your earliest uh, entrepreneurial endeavors? You know, it's interesting. People who are in the U.S. audience or the Canadian audience may be familiar with um, Kevin O'Leary from the show Shark Tank and Dragon's Den, where he talks about, "Have you ever had any successful businesses?" You know, well, what's successful? Businesses that made money. And uh, so, you know, when I was 12 years old, I, I guess maybe I made a little bit of money. Um, I, I rode my bike up and down the street looking to, uh, you know, do websites back before the internet was really in existence, really, or there's anything on it for people selling their home. But when I was 19 years old, I basically dropped out of college. I was going to a, um, a school in the U.S. Uh, you know, I barely even wanted to go. Let alone did go, and I started a, a company that uh, was in the broadcasting field to help people um, you know, advertise their program or, or get their message out in a longer format, like an infomercial. And everyone said, you know, radio is dead. Don't be in radio. Let alone go into the bowels of radio and help people with this, you know, low end uh, activity. And it, it built into a very, very big company and worked with clients. Uh, ranging from a Fortune 50 company to billion-dollar direct response companies that were, uh, you know, exclusive clients. Um, after that, you know, I've invested in all sorts of other things and 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 helped uh, grow businesses from you know home services to you know automotive stuff, import export. I helped a guy start a financial services company. So you know, if you think if you're an entrepreneur, it's like you're always thinking of you know what is the business opportunity here. And so one of the things that I do when I tra- when I'm traveling is uh I get a lot of the ringy dingy of you know here's an opportunity they're often very simple but there are so many opportunities out there and I think that's kind of the entrepreneurial mindset. So it's interesting that you mention all these businesses because a lot of people struggle just making one business work and I interviewed you know several entrepreneurs that can do it over and over and over. So what do you think what is it that the, the, you know what? What is it that you have, and and some of these other entrepreneurs have, that you can? It's it's really almost regardless of the business, but you just can you can make it succeed. What are what are those characteristics? Well, I think there's a certain amount of focus, and there's a certain amount of um, you know visualization. You have to really you know visualize um, you know what is the end goal. You have to understand what it is that the customer uh, wants, and just visualize. Uh, the market, you know, but I also think that there's just an element of, um, you know, just just saying, you know, what I'm going to do this, and I'm going to make it work. I mean, listen, I've uh, you know run or overseen perhaps businesses in markets where there wasn't a need for an extra business, but there was a need for better businesses, and I think that's one key thing that people can take advantage of. You know, I look at markets like the United States, and I see that it's one of the most you know, competitive entrepreneurial markets in the world. And there's a lot of markets I would not want to enter because they're way too competitive. But I also look at it and say, you know what? 
for someone who wants an on-the-ground business, something simple, something that's not so sexy, something not tech, for instance, there are you know plenty of businesses where people are just doing a poor job. And I think that um, you know just being able to see uh, uh, you know that opening is the hallmark, like I said, of a serial entrepreneur, the person who uh, could do it over and over and over again is constantly just seeing that opportunity, knowing how to execute, knowing how to put a team in place and, and get everything you know in place. I, I really think that the whole aspect of being in business is the hallmark of a successful entrepreneur. Some of the minutia isn't necessarily important. In fact, I think that there are probably some entrepreneurs that should just be in the business of starting businesses and getting it set up and then walk away a year later. Uh, that may not be the most entrepreneurial thing to say, but I think that that's what some people's skill set is, is getting things in motion, doing the big picture stuff, you know, assembling the, 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 the team and then letting someone else, uh, you know, do the nuts and bolts as things get settled. It's almost like, you know, when you start a business, you're an entrepreneur, but after a while you become a manager. Right. And, and I, I think a lot of people don't want to be managers, <laughs> especially those guys that, that just want to start businesses and then sell them or hire management and move on to the next next challenge, so to speak. Well, and I, obviously, there's there's a there's a dedication to continuing and to, uh, you know, keeping things going. But I think you're absolutely right. So I have um, watched an interview with you, and uh, you had mentioned that you like to invest in unsexy businesses with cash flow, right. you like businesses that other people don't want to be in. Um, what are some examples of those types of businesses? Well, yeah, and to clarify, I mean, I, I'm a contrarian in general. I mean, when you look at places to travel, places to live, I mean, I generally just tend to go against the grain, and I like that. But you know, I, I I have a club, for example, called the Nomad Society. It's a group of people who meet up all around the world, and we talk about the stuff that we do on Nomad Capitalist. And it's very uh, important for them. I mean, some of these guys, the most successful guys, are you know are doing things that I would consider unsexy. You know, they're in the garbage business, or um, you know, they have parking lots. Um, you, you know, just any kind of business that people aren't necessarily clamoring to get in. Like I said, I was in. You know things in the home services field. I mean, I look at one point. I looked at starting a landscaping company. You know why? Because um, you know I called 20 different people to, to try and get landscaping services. I didn't get a single person to answer the phone. So I look at these some of these unsexy businesses, things that people often look down their nose at. You know, maybe someone that delivers concrete or something like that. You know, auto, um, you know, refurbishment. You know, car refurbishing. Uh, anything like that, it's not, you know, tech, it's not, you know, supermodels sitting at the front desk, it's not, oh, let's get on a plane and fly around the world, it's nitty-gritty. I look at those and I say, first of all, the world's richest, uh, fastest-growing cultures are become rich, are becoming rich, uh, you know, in those businesses. You go to China, you go to Southeast Asia, dedicated business cultures, that's what they're doing. They don't want something where they have a supermodel sitting at the front desk. You know, they want something where they're getting their hands dirty, or their employees are getting their hands dirty, and it's it's you know hard work. Um, Do you know? Uh, are there any unsexy uh, location independent businesses in your experience? For those uh, people that are listening, that you know they want to be location independent. Well, you know, obviously, I think location independent business is important, and that's a great thing for someone who wants to do what I talk about. You know, I think that. By definition, something that's location independent is kind of sexy. 
Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Obviously, there are certain areas that everyone wants to clamor into. I would say, you know, what is it that everyone is doing? I'm not the best, um, you know, tech expert. You know, the web is our distribution medium to a certain extent, but I'm not the web guru. I would look at where's everyone else going. I was talking to a young kid on a, uh, a flight back from um, uh, Sarajevo recently who was talking about some ideas that he had for Internet businesses. But then he said, you know, I wouldn't do them because every idea I had, I would search and there were 92 people doing it. If you can find something that no one else is doing, which I is probably a hard thing to do, perhaps that's the unsexy opportunity. But obviously the whole location independent thing is about people um, – you know, traveling the world and doing that. I think it's great. But in terms of building a solid business, it it makes it a little more sexy. It's funny about competition that so many people are afraid of competition. But, you know, if you talk to venture capitalists, a lot of them won't invest unless there is competition. You know, they don't want to be in a business without a competition a lot of times. So, you know, there is... There are different philosophies on that as well. Uh, Some people are really afraid of it and others don't want to be in a business without it. I think uh, the difference between saying, listen, I'm going to start, you know, a company that's, you know, again, in the landscaping space and I'm going to, uh, and this competition is basically non-existent and I know how to run a business and they don't. When I talk about unsexy businesses, I love getting into those fields because yes, you're up to competing against thousands of people, but it's mom and pop shops. It's guys who, you know, they just know how to do the job, but they're kind of gruff and they don't really care about the customers. I mean, I, I've seen these guys in action, their thought process. It's not an entrepreneurial thought process. It's not about adding value to the market. Whereas, you know, I look at the tech field, you know, do I want to go and compete with Airbnb? Absolutely not. Um, you've got some of the, the, the most brutal competition on the planet coming out of North America. Whereas, you know, look at what happened in Russia. With the guy who started, uh, you know, V Contact, I believe it's called the the Facebook uh, knockoff in Russia. Russia isn't exactly a tiny country like Laos, but here's a guy who said, "Here's the Facebook model. I'm going to rip it off and do it in Russia." That's what I talk about doing overseas, and we can get into that later. But uh, that's why I'm not a huge competition fan in in sexier businesses. Um, you wrote uh, this is on your web- website. Yep. Uh, you wrote that your uh, mission is simple. Find the best places to live, start a business, and invest. In your opinion, what are some of the best places to live and do business today? Well, I just spent about five months traveling through Europe, Eastern, Southeastern Europe. You know, I was uh, admittedly underwhelmed. Um, I think there are some opportunities there, but I also think that the market probably wouldn't um, want to take advantage of all the of, the, of all the, the things that you could bring there. I'm, I'm extremely bullish on. Asia and Southeast Asia, I think China is fantastic. It's a great business culture. Certainly, they've got enough people there. It would be tougher. Uh, You go to Vietnam. You go to Cambodia. It's one of my favorites. Um, You know, even Malaysia, uh, perhaps Indonesia. Those are places that are, uh, you know, booming. And you can run a business pretty easily. Uh, The people there are pretty open to you coming. Uh, For example, in places like, you know, Cambodia, I was in a store. Any grocery store trying to buy food or trying to buy shampoo, everything is in French or English because there's just not this great um, need to print things in in the local language in Khmer, and people don't really want things necessarily in Khmer. I mean if someone's going to go to like a Western-style grocery store, they want something in French. That's the level of, uh, of quality, an indicator of quality. That's a country where 
you know, you can enter the market and, and it's just, there's just such an ease to it over time that will dilute. But I mean, I look at markets in Asia, they're booming. They like uh, foreign stuff. They don't have a lot of that foreign stuff. There's not a lot of competition. Colombia in South America is one that everyone is talking about in my circle. It's the number two most free economy in South America. And I love countries like that because again, it's the contrarian angle. I was just at a dinner last night with some friends who are very intelligent people. They read the news. They know what's going on. But, you know, what do they say? Oh, yeah, all the drug money running through there. It's really not what's going on anymore. It's just like people saying, you know, oh, Vietnam is getting attacked by the U.S. forces or, you know, Cambodia. Look at what happened there. It, you know, or Nicaragua, people say, you know, they had a civil war. All this stuff happened 30 years ago. People still think it's the happening. And therefore, you know, that makes it easier to go in and do business. So those are probably five of my favorite places. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I just wanted to bring this up as a side note. What do you think of the fact that only about a third of Americans actually have passports? And, and that number yeah. should actually be a, a lot smaller. Uh, it's only bigger because now we have to have passports to go to Mexico and Canada. Right. B- before we needed that, it was only maybe about 20, 25 percent. Uh, and then, and that to me is important because it feels like that Americans are so misinformed a lot of times, and I think that's maybe because they don't travel so much. But why do you think that number is so small? Well, I have to say, I, mean, I you know, I, I never complain as an entrepreneur. I never complain about reality. I'm merely trying to work around it. I mean, I'm having a conference, our Passport to Freedom conference in Cancun. We had the best attended conference in the offshore world last year, and now I'm saying, you know what? We're just going to Mexico and people who aren't with us, they just won't be able to come. Um, why is it? I mean, listen, I think that the U.S. government and just U.S. society has done the best job of any culture on earth of brainwashing its citizens. Again, I was at a, a dinner with some friends, and they're asking me, like, you know, what are the laws for property in uh, in Mexico? You know, what are the, the rules to, uh, to buy property? And then they said, well, I hear in the United States that there are squatters who can come in and sit in your property and take over, and you can't get rid of them. And I have to imagine it's really bad in Mexico too. It's like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> You're saying Mexico is so bad because the United States is so bad, and it has to be the same. Well, no, it only means the United States is bad. Yet there's just this, this brainwashing, perhaps because it's so isolated. You know, there's not a lot of countries surrounding it that it's the best country. Nothing else can be worse. Um, Look, I mean, I saw something the other day. I mean, most Americans learn about how good the government is from their government. So what does that mean? You know, it means they're not going to be very, uh, you know, critical thinkers. Um, when I go around the, the world, you go to a place like China, uh, they realize the, the problems with government, and they, they're trying to get around that. In the U.S., it's this thing of, uh, you know, it, it'll, it, yeah, it's, it's bad, but it's, we're still the best place on earth. I think that's bad for entrepreneurship. No one ever wants to leave. No one ever wants to explore uh, because they think it can't get any any better. Um, you know, why don't people travel? I, I get, hey, I don't know. There's so much to see. Why leave the the perfect country? We've got it all right here. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you say to to those that you know that that feel that you know it's very difficult and sometimes even impossible to do business? In a foreign environment, I mean, you 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 know, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Laos, you know, Cambodia, or some of these other places, and uh, you know, you don't speak the language, you have no idea about the culture. How do you even go about 
starting a business or, or even if you just want to invest in a business, what advice do you have uh, for those? Well, I mean, you've got some of these places. I mean, my gosh, uh, Vietnam, uh, my friend uh, Dan Andrews, where I'm always mentioning this on interviews, but I mean, he lived there for a long time and he thinks that really the English is catching up with that of, say, the Philippines, which is another economy that if you can tolerate some of the things that, you know, the, the pace there, it's probably not a bad place. Um, but I mean, Vietnam, is he right? I don't know. But certainly English is really coming uh, to the forefront there. I have lots of friends in Vietnam I'm talking to about what's going on. They speak perfect English. They're working in uh, jobs, you know, doing sales. They're doing stuff catering to expats, some of them. Uh, but some of them are also just catering to the local market. They just happen to be uh, bilingual. That's a growing thing. So I think English speaking is growing. Um, look, obviously there are certain economies that are more welcoming than others. But I think by focusing on smaller underappreciated, underrated economies, you'll you'll have a better chance for success. It's just like anything else. I mean, listen, um, no business is, you know, 100% perfect. No business is 100% easy. But, you know, I look at trading the challenges of lots of competition, high costs, high regulations, all the things that I've seen, even in very simple businesses. All right, you get rid of all that, and then you go and you have to deal with a little bit of culture shock. I mean, you know, that's your business as an entrepreneur. You've got to be on the ground. You've got to know how things work. I mean, that's your intelligence. Um, that's how you have to propel things forward is understanding the market. I mean, obviously, you need to know what the market is for your business to make sure it, it, it works. But for me, you know, trading uh, all the nonsense in the Western world for a little bit of a learning curve that I could, you could eat shorten by bringing on a foreign partner, by bringing on an expat who's lived there, you know, to me, it's a pretty good trade-off. So, um, you know, I, I look at some of these economies and I see that there are things that are so desperately needed or wanted that the learning curve is probably pretty short because, you know, there's stuff that you've been familiar with for 30 years that they want but don't have. Yeah, I mean, you know, America was kind of built on that whole concept, but somehow it's just not in the culture anymore, or not so much. You know, it was about going to places that were unknown to you and actually making it. It wasn't really about trying to find a job. It was about really building a life for yourself. It's funny and, that everything that, the, you know, I mean, here we go. What do people do? They say, you know, God bless the founding fathers, and God bless the, those, the pilgrims, and all that. You know, if without them, we'd have no country. And then they say, well, I can't believe all these people are – all these expats, they want to leave the country. They want to go somewhere else. I can't believe these people – it's like, well, wait a second. The people that you admire so much, you know, they took a risk. They went somewhere new. They did something different. They said, you know what? We don't, our country, the way things are, it's not working. So we're going to go and do something different. And then they made it, and they, they figured it out. That's exactly what the opportunity is right now. It's, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's the easiest thing in the world. But um, – you know, you have to go and you have to figure out. The question is, does the the potential reward outweigh you know, the costs? And I think that for someone who wants to be in business, I mean, yes. So uh, let's talk about Nomad Capitalist. Um, when you started it, what were your goals with uh, Nomad Capitalist? And when, when, what year did you start it? It's almost two years old now. I'm an investor. I'm a, you know, like I said, an entrepreneur. I love the idea of investing in other businesses. I've done that, you know, with a, a pretty good amount of success in the United States. I mean, uh, you know, I've never had a business that, that lost money. 
So, you know, I wanted to go around the world and replicate that model. You know, I started, um, you know, writing about it for fun. And it was, you know, interesting. Within 10 or 11 months, we had a quarter million people that month come to our site. And it's like, okay, wow, this is, uh, people are clamoring for something. Uh, and that's when we decided to uh, host a conference and have Peter Schiff come. And, and, you know, we had, I think, like I said, the biggest, uh, best attended uh, conference in this space of the year. Um, and, I never expected that to happen, though. I just figured, you know, I'm going to go around and I'm going to figure out where to invest my money in Laos. And ultimately, it worked out well for me uh, because I am still doing some of that stuff, not as much as I originally thought. But there are so many opportunities that being the guy to aggregate them is, is I think, just as interesting because, I mean, practically everywhere I turn, there's something interesting going on. So – how do you i mean there are there are other sites out there that talk about similar things um but you you know you managed to build quite a quite a large following so what do you think is the difference between your site and other sites how do you promote nomad capitalist what do you think makes the difference well i look at i mean on the internet certainly i mean if you have a quality product people are going to find it and that's just the nature of the internet or, or really anything you know i look at it as a business. And I mean, there's always ways to differentiate your business. I mean, we were just talking uh, the other day about the real estate market. I mean, look at real estate agents. When the market's on fire, they say, you got to get in that's on fire. You'll never be able to get in these prices again. It's it's going nowhere but up. And then when the market crashes, they say, well, you, look at these all-time lows. You have to get in now. <laughs> you know, there's always different ways to pitch something. I've chosen to come out and be totally transparent and say, you know, here's who I am. I'm going to do videos. I'm going to show my face at conferences. I'm going to be, you know, an authentic guy with a real story. I'm going to come on and do interviews and talk to people and, and share the information. And that's my business model. I feel that people want transparency. They want to know someone who they can like. And I'm sure some people don't like me. Um, just like any business, you know, my model doesn't appeal to everyone. Um, you know, I chose that because now I think it's the right thing to do. I think it's the right way to build trust. But I also think that, you know, as a business model, it differentiates me from guys who, you know, want to, you know, use pseudonyms and, and not show their face. And there's multiple guys who do that um, or guys who it's just an amalgamation, you know, kind of a faceless entity of guys who, you know, they're all just writing about how to go and live on a beach somewhere. Look, you know, I, I wanted to do something personality based. And so that's a business decision is. You know, again, you could do it with any other company. You could, uh, you know, you could run a, uh, like I said, a landscaping company where, hey, I'm Andrew. I'm the run of the, I'm the owner of the landscaping company. You know, here I am on the website with my big, you know, face, and here's my uh, my wife and my kids. Or you could just be the guy who's behind the scenes. You know, what strategy do you think is appropriate for that business? Um, there's always a strategy that appeals to a some section of the market. So you were uh, published in the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, and you know several other um, A-list publications. Yeah. What advice do you have for our audience to get into those types of publications? What should they do? What you know? What 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 gets you noticed? Well, you know, I um, I hate to sound like like a like an online entrepreneur when I say this because I think that there's a lot of uh, hype online where it's just like if you just do good good will happen to you and that's not always the case i mean you have to go out and create action and business i think in those cases you know when we, when we weren't looking for it it actually happened i think that uh, you know the lesson 
perhaps isn't as touchy-feely as some online people would want to say, that if you just, you know, it's good karma, but that, you know, when you're out there just running your business effectively and focusing on what it is that people want, then people who want, want it are going to find it, and some of those people are going to be from the Huffington Post, from the Blaze, from the Business Journal, from, you know, wherever else. Um, and so, you know, what again, what is the audience that you're trying to reach? Now, you know, am I a little bit surprised to be in the Huffington Post? Perhaps. But, I mean, I ultimately think, I mean, look at what I do. I'm a personality-based kind of site where I'm out there, where perhaps I'm an easier target, for better or for worse, for people who want to say, oh, here's what the offshore world is talking about. And here's what people who are investing overseas or leaving the United States are talking about. Here's a guy we can, you know, pin this on. So I think that your strategy is probably uh, important into, you know, do you want to be recognized? You know, what's important? I would argue that someone like myself was more accessible who they can point to and say, here's this guy. Look at that. Look at that guy with his tie and he's stuffy and he's, you know, look, yeah, he looks like an offshore guy. You know, I mean, <laughs> that maybe makes me more of a, of a target and gives me more publicity than, than guys who, uh, you know, they don't want to be accessible. So I think it's all in your strategy, but I mean, focusing on what the market wants or, uh, yeah, I mean, what the market wants, the people in your market will find it. They'll like it. People outside of your market may publicize it in a bad way. But, I mean, uh, I think it's all good. So, basically, these publications then find you as opposed to you doing outreach and, and you know, push, push your story onto them, so to speak. Yeah, I'm a big you know, believer in doing PR and getting the message out. I mean, I've, I've run businesses where it's all outbound. And, you know, we're reaching out to people because you have to. But, uh, yeah, in this case, uh, people have all come to me. Uh, you know, we've written stuff that was quotable or that, you know, made an interesting point or that was, you know, controversial. And I think, by the way, I think you should apply that in any business. I have a friend who I helped start a financial services business. They do, um, I don't know, a couple million dollars uh, over the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, just kind of a small, uh, you know, boutique uh, service. And I said, listen, you know, one of you guys is kind of a more straight, you know, centrist kind of middle of the road guy, doesn't get too uptight, pretty laid back. The other guys, you know, really politically conservative in the U.S. I said, you guys, you know, you're doing a radio show. You got your website, you got your blogs. You guys should be like the yin and yang. One of you should be screaming and yelling about the, the Democrats and how it's all going to pot. And then the other one should be more more level headed and, and center of the road. And the center of the road guy will attract center of the road guys. And the screaming and yelling guy will attract, you know, the people who are really fed up with what's going on. And they're the Tea Party types, for instance. Um, you know, I think having an identity is important. Having a brand identity, trying to be milk toast, isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, you know, I am very interested in the first one to two years of, of business. So I, I try to ask this of everyone that I, that I interview. What do you think is the most important thing for entrepreneurs to do during the first 12 months of being in business? What do you think they should focus on most of their energies? Well, I mean, I think, you know, whatever has to be done to, to totally dominate that market. And I think, I mean, for me, uh, you know, in, especially in an on-the-ground business, yeah, I mean, that's somewhere I would want to be uh, getting uh, the message out. But I think that, I mean, we have to look at like a foundation. Okay? You're building a house. You know, I think a lot of people focus on stuff that's not important or that's, you know, later in the building process. What is a foundation in a business? You need a team. 
you know, maybe you're starting a business with just yourself, but then you need the team. You need to build the team. I see so many entrepreneurs, especially in these smaller or unsexier businesses, where they have no clue on how to hire. They just ad hoc hire. They hire the first person who calls them. They don't really know the proper techniques. So what's the foundation? It's it's hiring. It's, you know, getting the basic marketing practices into place that are scalable. It's, you know, getting everything into place that can be scaled. And you have to realize, I mean, you are in business. You know, when I talk to, uh, you know, entrepreneurs around the world, they seem to think, well, I'm in this business, so I'm not really in business. No. If you're going to grow a scalable business that's going to grow, you know, you have to have the proper people in place. Because one person, I mean, when I started a business, like I said, the home services, we hired one guy. I basically made him the manager, and I, I just sat back and, and let him, you know, somewhat run stuff. If he would have screwed up, the whole thing would have would have tanked. I wouldn't have made, you know, 2,200% return in, in 13 or 14 months running that business because the rest of the team grew from that. So you have to look at it like you gotta you got to be, you know, HR. you got to be marketing. you got to understand the best practices in all those aspects of business because if you're not, you're just going to get squashed. Okay. Um, also, I'm very interested in being productive, uh, especially you know when you start a business first couple of years. What do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think people who again are, are focusing on the wrong things. I see people who, um, and again, this is why I talk about unsexy businesses. I mean, people get into these businesses that's like they like the glitz and the glamour, and then they go and they focus on all the wrong things. They focus on, you know, doing too many things at once. I look at, you know, what's the singular goal? You know, make a list of goals and go through them one at a time. Singular focus. You know, simple goals. You know, big impactful goals. Uh, all the, the stuff on the periphery. Uh, you know, that's hard to define what that could be in someone's business. But you know, if you're if you don't have tunnel vision and you're not laser focused on what's going on and, and achieving you know one main thing i think that's a problem um too many distractions not enough focus we can all suffer from that at some point and we are you know entrepreneurs so probably a you know an adhd or ocd lot but um you got to be super focused that's i mean this is probably as, as, as specific as i can be for just any business in general Okay. Now, if uh, if somebody came to you, let's say a friend or a family member, and they, they saw your success as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, especially, you know, for you as, you know, trying to do business or doing business, you know, all over the world, what, what, do, you, what do you think is the best or the most best advice you could give that person if they want to replicate your success? Well, I think everyone replicates success in their own way or, or differently. Uh, I mean, what I've done is a, is a measure of my personality. Um, you know, I've started things. Some have lasted for years. Some lasted a year, and then they were sold. So I really fit that more serial entrepreneur build. On the other hand, I know people who have started one business and have made, you know, five, ten million dollar businesses. People who you wouldn't think that person's a natural entrepreneur, but you know, you look at it and. Uh, you know, they may not be as good at going and starting a business every year, but they have the staying power. So you have to figure out, you know, what is, you know, what is it that you're doing? You know, if you're really passionate about something, you just want to do it for 25 years, 30, 40 years, and you have the ability to execute on that one concept, you know, that's important. I mean, the most advice is, the best advice is just to go out and do it. 
I mean, that's what entrepreneurship is, you know, go out and do something. I mean, for me personally, I never really had a job. Um, so when I was 19, I was able to start a business and, you know, I love a cash flow business. Like I said, you know, how can I bring in cash right away? Um, you know, what does that involve? It involves doing things most people don't want to do. Uh, I'm all for internet businesses, but, you know, you look at people who I, I know dozens of guys who have made tons of money online and I've met all the people who are trying to be like them. Um, you know, if, if it's hard to make a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars a month online, find a way to pick up the phone and sell people because that's what I did and, um, you know, made money instantly. Um, so get out of your comfort zone. That's what you have to do. I mean, if you're online, you know, how can you think of it as not just an online business? We have an online business, but, you know, I, we also sell things, you know, B2B or on the phone. Um, and if we all we did was think about e-commerce and shopping carts, we, we'd miss out on tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes a month in opportunities because, oh, we're not a, we're not a business that picks up the phone. We do all things with, with clicks. No. So the point is get started doing something, get it in motion and figure out a way to bring in the money very quickly. That's the only way you have to succeed. And, and whatever you have to do to bring the money in, phone, emails, reaching out to people, going to conferences, whatever. Sounds good. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your, your wisdom with our audience uh, today, Andrew. How can uh, people connect with you or find out more about Nomad Capitalist? Well, they can go to the website, of course, Nomad Capitalist. We've got some free uh, materials that we give out that goes into a lot of depth, actually, perhaps too much depth on some of the uh, the countries, for example, that I like and for different things. I li really believe in using countries for for different purposes. So if someone says, um, you know, oh, we should just move to from the U.S. and then go to Australia and do everything in Australia, that's not what I really believe in. I believe in diversifying around the world. Uh, but they go to nomadicapitalist.com. They can learn more. I think we've got a special offer when they sign up for the uh, newsletter, which is free. And then, uh, you know, we've got conferences, uh, you know, around the world, like this Passport to Freedom Conference, which is a great way to meet other people and network and, and learn this stuff. But, um, you know, as with any business, just getting started is the most important element. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. I appreciate your time uh, today. I, I learned a lot from you, and I'm sure our audience as well. And I wish you much success with Nomad Capitalist and your travels. Thanks so much, George. Thank you.